The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. I want you to think about how you would finish the statement or the phrase, life is short, what would you say? I know I have a shirt, you know, life is short, play hard. Uh, I got a shirt from Hawaii, it says life is short, uh, play dirty. Uh, and uh, you know, so maybe some of you, you have like, maybe you have a quick thought and it's, you know, life is short, enjoy the moment or life is short, eat dessert first. Um, life is short, smile while you still have teeth. Uh, you know, and some of you, you're going to think uh, of something really profound. Others of you, it's going to be cute. Others of you, it's going to be really uh, tacky or corny. Either way, I think all of us quickly have this thought, life is short, and so let's live for this moment because this is all we have. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And so here is the challenge, though. Very often, because we live thinking life is short, we can trade or forfeit the great things of tomorrow for the good of today. We get caught up thinking life is short, and so we begin to settle for simply pleasing ourselves in the moment rather than preparing and planning for something significant that could happen tomorrow. So in essence, it's survive today and enjoy today, live life to the fullest right now because I really don't know if I have a tomorrow. And that kind of thinking leads to this thought, life is short, so we live short-sighted. We live for instant gratification. Many of you would recognize the name Steve Jobs. Probably some of you would recognize the name Steve Wozniak. Some of you uh, tech nerds out there, you, you, those guys, the founders of Apple, right? One of the, or maybe right now, depending on how the stock market is doing today or, or this past week, um, Apple, possibly the largest publicly traded company in the world. Many of you, however, would not recognize the name Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne was actually a partner with the two Steves. Now, they were the guys who started building, you know, kind of the, began the PC revolution out of their garage, but they had a, an older, wiser, more experienced business guy who made one of the initial investments into the Apple company. And so he was kind of like the dad of the group. He had a little more sense. And so he made a, a pretty good financial investment uh, for these guys, you know, good considering it's 1976. And so uh, with his uh, investment, these guys began to build uh, their PC uh, and he panicked. However, only a short few months into the process of them getting Apple started, and so he decided to cash out because he was looking at these two uh, 20-something you know, tech nerds working out of their garage, and he's thinking, I'm gonna, he had already gone through some financial times, uh, some difficult financial times, and so he was thinking, hey, look, I can't afford to take the risk. You know, me being an investor, I've got my name on the dotted line. If this thing goes bad, I could lose everything, and I don't want to do that, and so he backed out, 
And so he got $800 back on his investment, plus uh, he signed documents to waive all future rights of a lawsuit against Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, and so they settled for another $1,500. So for $2,200, he completely pulled out his 10% investment or ownership of Apple, uh, the Apple company. Within one year, uh, Apple had already made $3 million. All right, now that doesn't seem like a ton, but you know, you do the math. How much did he already forfeit within a year of pulling out? Now, you do the math, let's jump fast forward those numbers to today, where Apple is worth somewhere around $650 billion. 10%, maybe, maybe not the full shebang, right? let's just say he, let's just go $50 billion. He, here is why I tell that story, because so many of us live like Ronald Wayne. We look at the moment and we think, man, I don't know about this moment. This is scary, this is risky. I have to, life is short. Live for the moment, and so we become short-sighted, and so we withdraw, we, we pull back on taking risks, we begin to live fearful. And as a result, we enjoy the moment and we forfeit tomorrow, and so Ronald Wayne, he makes a $50 billion mistake pulling out way too early because he wasn't thinking long-term, he was thinking short-term. And how many of us, because we think so short-term and we're living only for the moment because life is short and we're eating dessert first, we're forfeiting the great things of the future. We're forfeiting the way we could be living if we started thinking a little longer-term. And so I'm gonna challenge you maybe with a different thought. Life is short, so live for eternity. The reality is that many of us, while we're thinking of life being short, it's as though death itself is the great villain. Now, if you've ever been to the funeral of one of your loved ones, it really does feel like that. Somehow this horrible villain of death has come and snatched your, your parent or a loved one or a sibling or a friend or a neighbor from you and, and you sit there going, how could this have happened? Life is so short. They died too young. Seems like no matter how long they live, everyone seems to die too young. And so how do we respond to this sense of death being the ultimate enemy that steals life from us, steals our loved ones from us, and then causes us to begin to live only for the moment? And so I was doing some, you know, reading, doing this series called Thin Spaces, uh, looking at what Jesus does when he shows up at funerals. And it's written from the eyewitness perspective of a guy named Luke. Now Luke is a doctor, so he's got a lot of experience with death. He's a guy who makes his living helping hurting and broken people, helping people so they don't die, and so I imagine Luke probably had his fair share of moments when he had to go to the funeral of someone he lost, and so Luke records a moment when Jesus shows up at a funeral. And we're just gonna go right there to Luke chapter seven, verse 11, and it's a story, Jesus has been out teaching, Jesus has been doing signs, wonders, and miracles, and here's this moment when life is too short and a young man 
dies. Verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples had a large crowd. Disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he had approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Now, this would be normal. This is customary. This is kind of their, their tradition. It would be like a, the whole town would basically join in a funeral procession, right? So they would be carrying the coffin on the poles. They'd be walking out of the town. The whole town would come out and join in this funeral procession. Everyone's weeping. Everyone's wailing. The dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So we got to stop there again, because what that means is, you know, the, a widow in this time is the most, would be the most economically vulnerable person in an entire community, right? So you got a community that's highly agrarian, meaning they've got to work the land, they got to produce crops. And so here is a female in a culture that doesn't regard females highly, uh, who's highly dependent on males to help provide and take care of her, help work the land, work the farm, right? And now, so her husband's gone, so now she has no status in the community. She's got very limited legal rights, and now her son dies. Her son is her retirement plan. Her son is her provision. Her son is the only way she can actually put food on the table, and now her son is dead. In essence, Jesus shows up on the scene of a woman who just lost her son, and this woman is in a desperate situation. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Life is short. And Jesus shows up on the scene where death seems like the ultimate villain. Death has come and robbed this woman of her only son and left her vulnerable and broken. And so we're going to continue the story. Verse 14, then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. So if, if you were uh, in the crowd, you would think that Jesus just committed like a real rookie mistake. He, he's this new teacher on the scene. He's kind of a, he's this new and up and coming rabbi. He walks up to the coffin and he does what no Jewish person's ever supposed to do. You don't touch the coffin. Uh, think about it, right? So it's, a, it's kind of an open casket situation. So you can see his body. They're carrying him. Everybody is mourning. Everybody is weeping. Uh, it would kind of be like you showing up at an open casket funeral, and in the middle of the pastor speaking, you just go up and you start touching the body, right? Like, you never do that. But in this context, it's actually worse because the Jewish people believe, right, if you touch a body, you become unclean. You're ceremonially unclean. You're hygienically unclean. You're not allowed to go to church for a significant period of time after you do this. So it's basically a big no-no. Nobody touches dead bodies. And anybody who does is become ceremonially unclean and is kind of like pushed out of community for a period of time. So Jesus, it appears, commits a rookie mistake by going up and actually touching the coffin. But you, you know better. Jesus is no rookie. He said, he interrupts this funeral. He walks up, he touches the coffin. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Now, you know as well as if you're in the crowd, you're like, what? Some of you are creeped out. You're like, what is happening? 
And he starts, like, he gets up and he starts talking. He's like carrying on a conversation with Jesus. Jesus gives him back to his mother. Jesus presents this young man back to his mother. And there is a principle that jumps off the pages of this story. Because here's the thing. I want to make sure you don't miss this moment, right? This son who's given back to his mother is eventually going to die again. He's going to actually die twice. It's not much of a privilege. Jesus' goal here is not to give this man longevity. This miracle carries with it a profound statement. Behind every miracle Jesus does, there is a principle. And this principle is Jesus, God among men, demonstrating a powerful reality. And, that, and it's this, that God is the victor over death. And when, you, when you're standing there in the crowd watching Jesus raise a dead boy back to life or a dead young man back to life, here is what jumps off of the pages. Here is what you can experience in that moment. And it's this. While you and I are busy living short-sighted lives, we're busy living for the moment. We're, because we're living, because life is short, we live short-sighted. Jesus interrupts the funeral processional and he says, whoa, 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 I have power over life and death. Therefore, I want you to live in a different way. How can you live different in light of the fact that Jesus has power and authority over death? I'd encourage you to take a moment, write this down. And more than writing it down, let it pierce your heart so the next time you're, you're getting a little scared of death, you, you turn on the news and you hear another story, you're, you're, you're having to go to another funeral, you're, you're dealing with a situation in your own immediate family and you become overwhelmed and you start thinking, life is short, man, death is the ultimate villain. This is the principle I want to jump out to you. Live Fearlessly. Death doesn't just feel like the enemy. Death doesn't just feel like a villain. It seems that death robs us of the greatest possession we all hold on to, and that is life itself. Here is, here is the problem, right? We don't just die because it's the natural course of life. We die as a result of something far worse something called sin. Sin is this drive inside of every one of us that comes from a corruption in every one of our souls, that we are hardwired to disregard God and do what we want. Because we live the way we want, every one of us are cursed with sin, sin that leads to death, but not just physical death. The punishment of sin is eternal judgment, eternal suffering. So here's the deal. We were all born with this instinct to want to go in the opposite direction of God. As a result, every one of us are born on a trajectory with death, but not just death. Death, a trajectory with eternal suffering. So God intervenes in this life trajectory headed toward eternal death by becoming one of us. In essence, what you could say is in this story, when you see Jesus come and interrupt the funeral of a young man who's, who dies and his, his widowed mom is left suffering, in essence, you could look at that story and say Jesus actually becomes the young man. Follow me. Jesus doesn't just touch a coffin. Jesus is on his way to the cross. 
where he is going to touch death itself. He's going to take the sin on himself. He's going to take the consequence of sin on himself. He's going to take the death sentence that every one of us deserve on himself. He's going to take eternal judgment on himself so that Jesus dies in our place. He doesn't just touch a coffin. He touches death. He takes hold of sin and eternal judgment, and he puts it on himself so that he becomes corruption. Right? They, they were afraid that when you touched the coffin, you would become unclean. Jesus takes our sin on himself. He takes the death on himself so that he becomes unclean in our place. He pays the price for death itself. He pays the penalty for sin, and he is judged in our place so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins, shame and guilt removed, and in place of shame and guilt, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives new life. How? Because Jesus doesn't just die on a cross. Jesus supernaturally physically and miraculously rises from the dead. And in the power and in the wonder of his resurrection, Jesus conquers the strength of sin. He defeats death. You could say he kills death. And he frees us from a trajectory toward eternal judgment. When you believe in Jesus Christ by faith, the same life of God that rose Jesus from the dead becomes alive in you and me. How? Because when we were in sin, we are separated from relationship with God. When you are not in relationship with God, while you might live for eternity, you live for eternity in eternal suffering. But when you believe in Jesus by faith, his spirit becomes present in your spirit. And when God's eternal spirit is alive in your spirit, you, rather than being on a crash course with eternal judgment, now become full of eternal life. When you, when you become aware of this, right? So you go, God is victor over death. God killed death itself so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, it's not a giant fountain of youth, right? Now, it's not like you and I are trying to take hold of faith so that we can live forever on this earth. How would that be a gift, right? Think about it, right? Living forever on this earth would not be a real gift, what, so you live forever to see more misery and more wars and more suffering and more death and more pain? No, no, in fact, you could say that death itself is a gift. It's a gateway from this life into eternal life. I'm not saying it's not tragic. I'm not saying it's not painful for those left behind, but I assure you that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith, when they pass from this life to the next life, they're not in eternity mourning. They're not up there grieving. They're not up there sorrowful. Really, sorrow and grief is, remains for those who are left behind, right? But anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith, the gift is not longer life. The gift is eternal life. And when you begin to think like this, when you become aware of this, that begins to change how you live. Rather than trying to finish statements like life is short, eat dessert first, you begin to think life is short, live it fearlessly. 
Don't exchange this temporary moment, right? Don't just hold on to the moment. Don't take risks. Live fearful like Ronald Wayne. No. Begin to live your life bold. Begin to live your life full of courage. Begin to live your life fearlessly. Now, another author who wrote a portion of the Bible, his name was John, one of the close and dear friends of Jesus. Later in his life, so he wrote the gospel according to John from his eyewitness experience of being close to Jesus. But much later in his life, while he was banished onto an island, he had a vision of what the end of the world might look like. And it's recorded in the Bible. It's called the book of Revelation. And as he has his vision, he, he, he has a picture of Jesus speaking to him. It's, it's as if in his vision he meets Jesus. And Jesus is giving him a word to give to the churches of that time. And if you were alive in the time of, of late in John's life, the church was going through terrible persecution. Like what it might feel like to be a Christian in the Middle East right now, where you're living constantly under threat of being murdered or a bomb going off outside your house. And, and so John has this vision of Jesus speaking to him to give a message to the churches of that time. And this is what he hears Jesus say. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17, 18. I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am the first I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades or of hell. I came, I conquered, I defeated hell. I defeated death because of your faith in me. You no longer have to live frightened. Do not be afraid. And then he continues in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He says, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. If you do not live this life fearful, if you're willing to be faithful to me, even to the point of death, then you will experience the gift of eternal life. So he's saying, do not live fearful, live fearlessly. And so now I want to bring you back to the story how does the crowd respond when they see Jesus raise this young man back to life and present him to his mother? Here it is, verse 16 of Luke chapter 7. They were filled with awe, and they praised God. Let me, let me give you two words kind of to capture that moment. They were filled with wonder and worship. Their jaws dropped, and then their mouths began to praise God. I think that's a really um, a natural response that every one of us would have when we become aware of the fact that Jesus Christ is victorious over death. Jesus is the resurrected king. And so they were, they were filled with wonder and worship. They say, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And then listen to this. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. When you live fearlessly, you will spread good news. I want to encourage you to take a moment and write that down. When we live fearlessly, we begin to spread good news. This crowd sees Jesus interrupt a funeral. He raises the dead man back to life, gives him back to his widowed mom, and then the crowd goes, 
while they're filled with awe, wonder, and worship, and then they, they leave that moment, right? This might be one of those moments for you where your heart is filled with wonder and worship. But when your heart's filled with wonder and worship, you have a responsibility to go back out into your community, back out into your neighborhood, back out to your family gatherings, your barbecues, even when you're on vacation, and you begin to spread the good news. Trust me, if if somebody interrupts a funeral and a dead person is raised back to life, the word spreads quickly. You start telling those kind of stories and you don't care who overhears. You're like, look, I'm telling you, I was at a funeral and this happened. And everyone's like, ah, I don't know. That's, you're stretching it, right? And I'm sure there were skeptics and I'm sure there were cynics just like there are today. But here is the reality. You and I were dead. We deserve death and we were living dead. And for that reason, because of our sin in our life, we were on a crash course with death. We deserve to die forever in eternal judgment. But as a result, we live in sin. And because we live in sin, we live these short-sighted, temporary kind of lives. And God God intervened through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising from the dead. And in his victory over death, whoever believes in him by faith receives new life. And when you receive new life, you who are dead become alive. And you have a responsibility to live fearlessly, which means you don't run around trying to hold on to this temporary moment. You don't go around living trying to hold on to the moment. Life is short. Eat dessert first. No. You begin to live boldly. You begin to spread the news just like they did in that time, filled with wonder and worship. You begin to spread the word. You begin to tell your story. How have you been raised from death to new life? What was once dead in you that now has been given life through faith in Jesus Christ? And you have a responsibility to go around spreading that news. Tell people about your experience of being dead and now receiving life. And then don't just tell your story. Tell Jesus' story. Tell the story of a God who became a man to take on death itself, who was not afraid to touch the coffin and himself become unclean and become corrupted by sin and death and judgment. Tell the story of God who becomes one of us so that he could defeat death and conquer hell and give us new life. When you begin to spread that news and word begins to spread, people come from all around wanting to experience it for themselves. That was why Jesus interrupted a funeral. It wasn't about giving a young man longer life. It wasn't about giving a a widow back her son. It was about Jesus demonstrating that him being God among men has the power over death itself so that people would begin to believe in him by faith, begin to live fearlessly and allow that word to spread. You have a responsibility to be the bearer of good news, right? You've got to admit that's good news that people who die in sin and sin who should be on their way to a crash course with hell can receive new life through faith in Jesus Christ and instead of dying forever in judgment can be born again can receive eternal life and live with God forever in paradise that is 
good news. Now, when you've spread, when you go around spreading good news, there's one more thing that really jumps off the pages of this story that I, w- I don't want you to miss. And that is, not only do you spread good news, but when you live fearlessly, you don't need to be alarmed. I encourage you to write that down. The very next part in the story, this guy named John the Baptist uh, re-enters the scene. Now, John the Baptist is not the same guy who wrote uh, the book of Revelation. That's a different John, all right? Believe it or not, in the Bible, there are more than one, there's more than one John, there's more than one James. All right, so here's the deal. This, there's this other guy named John, John the Baptist, who is kind of the prophet who uh, introduces Jesus. He's the guy who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. All right, now, he was arrested. He was in prison awaiting death sentence, right? So he's waiting to die, to be put to death, to be murdered. And in prison, he's a little shaken by the reality of death. Okay, so Jesus interrupts a funeral. He raises a young man from the dead. The very next moment in, in, the, in the, the gospel according to Luke, John sends some of his followers, some of his students to go talk to Jesus. And they're like, hey, Jesus, we just want to make sure you really are the son of God. I mean, this is going to cost John everything. He's going to die because he believes in you. We just want to know it's worth it. Maybe some of you feel that way. And this is the message Jesus gives these students to bring back to John the Baptist, who is facing a death sentence and actually is going to be put to death for his message and his belief in Jesus. This is what Jesus says to him. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who is not alarmed. Blessed is the man who doesn't spend his life on the defensive. Blessed are the people who are not shocked and fearful of death, even if they're in prison facing a death sentence. Blessed are the people who are aware that Jesus Christ is the victor over death, who defeated death, hell, and the grave, and who gives us eternal life. And he's saying saying to the students, I want you to go back and I want you to tell John, even though you're facing the death sentence and you're going to be put to death, here's what I want you to know. I am the victor over death. Whoever believes in me will not die, but will live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't live your life on the defensive. Don't turn on the news and cower in fear. Don't spend your life reeling backward, constantly avoiding risk because you're afraid of the cost. Don't spend your life frightened. Don't spend your life cowering. Don't spend your life calculating more how you can avoid dying than you do how you can live. Don't just make your motto of life survive till you die. Make the motto of life, I am going to live fearlessly. Now, some of you, you're misunderstanding. You're thinking, I can do whatever I want. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying take unnecessary risks. I am talking about living totally sold out for God. 
Live fearlessly in your devotion to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do not be alarmed. Don't be alarmed by threats. Don't be alarmed by people who might attack or might make you otherwise be frightened. You live your life bold and courageous and triumphant, knowing that Jesus is our victory, that Jesus conquered death, and because he conquered death, I don't have to fear death. I can face any and every situation living fearlessly, not alarmed, not alarmed by the news, not alarmed by threats, not alarmed by those who would come against us. Stand boldly, stand in love, share and show the good news of Jesus Christ with people that are far away from God. Be willing to live your life radically obedient to Jesus regardless of the cost. That is what it means. Not only to live fearlessly, but to actually be a Christian. Christ followers, people who have devoted their lives to Jesus, we might feel a little bit like John the Baptist. We might have those moments when we go, man, I want to make sure this is worth it. Let me be very clear to you. It is worth it. If, if this is all there is, then by all means, life is short, eat dessert first. By the way, I have no issue with that motto. But I mean, I'm just, I feel like I've been saying that one. Go for it. But here's the deal. Don't, don't compromise the great thing that God wants to do tomorrow by instantly gratifying yourself today. Don't sell out living boldly for God because you're too cautious and you're living, you're, you're living too frightened today. Lay aside the fear. God wants to wash that out of your life. Begin to take on the courage that comes from living in the Holy Spirit. Begin to walk confidently and boldly, not just trying to survive till you die, but living this life, living a life worth dying for. Would you take a moment right now? And would you allow God's Spirit to meet you in this thin space? Funerals are thin spaces because they remind us of our own mortality. Talking about death can be a thin space. This moment can be a thin space when you begin to contemplate your future. You begin to look at your life and say, how am I living fearlessly? And if right now you're living frightened, maybe your first step is to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of salvation and would you turn your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Allow him to come into your life by allowing God's Holy Spirit to come into your spirit and to forgive you of sin. I want you to take that moment and make that your confession of faith. Others of you, you've been living in retreat. You've been living maybe a little bit too much like Ronald Wayne. You've been... You've been Take avoiding risks. You've been avoiding that kind of that bold step of faith in following God. And so now is your moment where you, you surrender your life to God and you begin to live fearlessly. Would you open your ears to the Spirit of God and let him speak to you in this moment? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.